Well, I'm sure that uh, most of you recognize that last song as a modern rendition of the song that Mary sang after she found out that she was going to give birth to God's son. And uh, Mary's song was recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. And if you brought your Bibles tonight, I want to invite you to turn there with me. We are indebted to Dr. Luke for his carefully researched and thoroughly detailed account of the life and ministry of Christ. And if it weren't for Luke's gospel, we would know very little about the events leading up to the birth of Christ. Some of the other gospel writers tell us about the birth itself, but Luke is the only one that tells us uh, the things that happened leading up to the birth of Christ. And here in chapter 1, Luke documented for us the stirring story of the prophetic announcements that the angel Gabriel made about the birth of both Jesus and his forerunner, John the Baptist. Gabriel, if you remember the story, first visited Zacharias and told him that uh, he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a son who would be used by God to prepare the people of Israel for the Messiah. Well, Zacharias found that hard to believe since his wife had never been able to have children and they were well beyond the age of childbearing. And so when he questioned Gabriel as to how in the world this could be possible, he was immediately struck dumb and was unable to speak until his wife gave birth to their son, John. Well, when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, Gabriel paid a second visit to another lady in Israel. Her name was Mary to announce that she would give birth to Jesus. And initially, she too had a hard time believing it would be possible for her to give birth to a child since she was not barren, she was a virgin. And so Gabriel explained how she would be impregnated by the Holy Spirit and would be the mother of God's son. Let that settle in for a second. Amen. Ladies, if, if an angel shows up and says, hey, I want you to know that, that God has chosen you to be the mother of his son. Well, to confirm this miraculous message to her, that nothing is impossible for God, Gabriel told her that her old barren Elizabeth, uh, relative Elizabeth was with child herself, and so Mary, Mary just humbly submitted to the prophetic words of the angel and quickly scurried off to visit Elizabeth. And that's where we pick up the story here in Luke chapter 1 in verse 39. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And now, and how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greetings reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy." And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And so having the word of the Lord given to Mary, confirmed by the blessing of Elizabeth and the leaping of John in her womb when she arrived, Mary burst forth in praise to God. And this is what she said, verse 46, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he is at regard, has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave, for behold, from this time on, and all generations will count me blessed. 
For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Now, this was the first of several songs that were sung about the birth of Christ. We have Zacharias' song just shortly after this uh, in chapter 1. After John was born, he sang a song. We have the angels' song that they sang at the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2. We also have Simeon's song, that aged man who was in the temple waiting for the uh, coming of the Messiah, and he sang a song when he took that little uh, baby Jesus in his arms. And all of these songs that we see here in the Gospel of Luke uh, are really the predecessors or the prototypes of what we know today as Christmas carols. And uh, Christmas carols, as we know, are just part of the rich tradition of Christmas. They date back to the first century when they were primarily written in Latin, and they were not called carols, they were called hymns. Uh, The word carol, interesting, comes from a a French word meaning song of praise or joy. That's what it means. A Christmas carol is a song of praise or joy. Now, unfortunately, In our day, traditional Christmas songs or Christmas carols that focus on the birth of Christ like Silent Night and What Child Is This and Hark the Herald Angels Sing and O Holy Night and A Little Town of Bethlehem and Joy to the World and Away in a Manger and uh, Angels We Have Heard on High, O Come All Ye Faithful, these songs that we have, some of these that we sang tonight, uh, they're lumped together with secular songs about Santa Claus coming to town and the anatomy of a snowman called Frosty, and a poor little reindeer named Rudolph who gets bullied by other reindeers because of his bright, shiny nose, all sorts of bells ringling and jingling and just the obnoxious noise that lots of bells make, Uh, a lot of songs about that, Um, Jack Frost nipping at your nose, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, dreaming about a white Christmas, wanting to be home for Christmas, and Grandma getting, well, you know... The tragic accident that happens to grandma at Christmas time. And listen, we're used to hearing all these songs just played over and over again, nonstop on the radio and in shopping malls and restaurants during the holiday season. And we've also grown accustomed to hearing people whose lives give little to no evidence that they know Christ singing these classic carols about Christ. And I don't know about you, but it just it, it always amazes me how people can listen to these songs and even sing these Christmas carols and, and totally miss what they're all about. And essentially what they are are their, their worship songs that, that joyfully praise God for providing sinners salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. And there's no greater example of this than, than Mary's song here in Luke chapter 1, known as the Magnificat. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before, which is the first word of the Latin translation of verse 46, my soul exalts the Lord. The word word magnificat means exalts or glorifies or, I like this word, magnifies. 
And so Mary's joy over God's miraculous work in her life, as well as the lives of all those who fear him, particularly her fellow Jews, it just overflowed in worship and praise to God for who he is and what he had done and what he was about to do. And so really that's the essence of this worship song, the Magnificat. Now when I was in preaching class in seminary some 20 years ago, man, I feel old now, uh, some 20 years ago, I was in preaching class, and we all had to pick a text to preach to kind of get uh, critiqued and graded on, and, and so I picked uh, this text, and, and, but I added it to basically uh, all of chapter 1. I just, I just preached all of chapter 1 and, and, uh, up until verse 56, and so by the time it was, uh, I got to preaching, and I looked at my watch, and I was running out of time, and so I just kind of breezed over uh, the Magnificat. And just kind of read it and made a few passing comments. And I'll never forget my, my professor just chewing me out and, and just making an example of me in front of the rest of the class. And, he, and he, this is what he said. He said, man, this is like a prime rib that you just waved in front of our face. You need to preach this. He was a fiery preacher, and so he was in my face about that. Well, that's what I intend to do 20 years later. I'm finally getting around to actually preaching the Magnificat. And so for starters, I, I feel the need to, to just give a brief disclaimer tonight, since the Magnificat has been hijacked by the Catholic Church and viewed as the, really the basis to worship Mary more than Christ. And uh, generally speaking, Catholics revere Mary as the Queen of Heaven, and they pray to her as the mediator between us and God. And so I think it's important that we just, as we look at this, this amazing worship song by Mary, who was truly an amazing woman, as we're going to talk about in just a moment, that we need to understand the, the teaching about Mary, uh, again, according to the Catholics, it basically goes like this. Number one, uh, Mary is the mediatrix. In other words, she's the mediator of salvation uh, between us and God. Uh, she mediates the salvation that Christ won for us on the cross, and all of God's graces come to us through Mary. She said in verse 38, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. In other words, Catholics believe that that was Mary giving God permission to have his baby. That's what basically what they say. Well, we know 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is, no, there is one mediator between God and man, and who is that? The man Christ Jesus, right? So number... One is Mary is the mediatrix. Uh, number two is the Immaculate Conception. Again, if you're familiar with Catholic theology, you, you understand this. The Immaculate Conception is not about Jesus' conception. It's about her reception. That they believe that she herself was conceived without original sin. Uh, because uh, how could she be this woman who was highly exalted, highly favored by God if she was a sinner? And yet we know... That can't be true because Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, There is none righteous, not even one. All have turned aside. Together they become corrupt. There is none who does good. There is not even one, not even Mary. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a third belief that's according to traditional Catholic doctrine, and that's the perpetual virginity of Mary. In other words, Mary remained a virgin throughout her entire life. And uh, because she was a virgin when she gave birth, they think, well, she must have stayed a virgin. She made some kind of vow of virginity. And yet we know from the Gospels of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, that, that Jesus had brothers. He had sisters. 
And so that's not true. And then finally, the Catholics believe in the assumption of Mary, and that basically means that Mary never died, but was taken in bodily form to heaven. In other words, she had no sin, and because she had no sin, then she had no corruption, and because she had no corruption, she couldn't die. And she was taken up to heaven, so they say. Well, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, everyone, including Mary, right, because all sinned. I think it's interesting here in the Gospel of Luke, we have a couple places where Uh, Jesus actually warned against worshiping his mother. Uh, We'll just read one in 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 Luke chapter 11, verse 27. Someone wanted to give praise to to Mary. This is uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 27. It says, while Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that which you nursed. But Jesus said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. In other words, don't put Mary up on a pedestal, right? Don't put my mom on a pedestal. Uh, Everyone is blessed, right, who who listens to the word of God and and observes it and obeys it. That's exactly what she did. She set the example of hearing the word of God and obeying it. And so that's kind of where the Catholics are at when they come when it comes to the Magnificat and where they draw a lot of their theology from. But sadly, we Protestants have a problem too, okay? And and this is our problem. In order to avoid the heresies of the Catholic Church, I think most of us have gone to the opposite extreme of worshiping Mary to practically ignoring her. And we fail to give her the honor that's due her along with all the other godly women in the Bible. And we have no problem. You're talking about Sarah and Abigail and and, and Hannah and and Ruth and and Esther, but we don't ever talk about Mary. You can't talk about Mary. And yet we need to understand that Mary stood in a long line of devout women throughout the Old Testament that, that God chose to accomplish his plan of redemption. And Mary should be held in high esteem as a, as a model of genuine devotion and strong faith and humble submission and loyal obedience. And we can learn a lot from her example, just like we would from any other Bible character. And so we, we shouldn't be shy to, to talk about Mary. And I think the first thing we can learn from Mary is that she knew that it wasn't about her. She she didn't want to be praised and exalted. She knew all the praise, all the adoration belonged to God and God alone. I mean, she would be horrified if she knew how many people were worshiping her her on this earth. Her great desire was to magnify the Lord, not herself, and to exalt Him for all that He had done. And we see that in this song eight times She says, he has, God has done this. God has done this. God has done this. God has done this. It's not about her. It's not about me. It's about God. And so I just want to look at this song just just briefly tonight and and just three stanzas here. If we could break it up into three sections. First of all, we're going to see what God did for Mary, okay, because it's all about what God has done. So what did God do for Mary? That's verses 46 to 49. Secondly, what God did for others That's where we come in uh, tonight, verses 50 to 53. And then thirdly, what God did for Israel. And so this song is personal. 
Okay, Mary is very personal. She talks about what God did for her personally. This song is also prophetical. It talks about what he's going to do in the future. And this song is also powerful. That it has the power to change your life. I don't know if you came here tonight looking for a change, but you might leave here a radically changed person because of this song. Let's look at, first of all, what God did for Mary. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. And so in these first four verses, Mary described how humbled and how honored she felt to have been given this undeserved privilege of having been chosen by God to be the mother of his son. And, and I'm sure you've already noticed this if you're familiar with your, with your Bible, that uh, this song is made up almost entirely of quotations and allusions from the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms. And it closely resembles the song that Hannah sang after God answered her persistent prayer to give her a child in her barrenness, and she dedicated that little Samuel to a life of service in the temple, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I would suggest to you that Mary was most likely meditating on Hannah's song during her three or four day journey to see Elizabeth in Judah, or in Judea. And that's why this was so fresh on her mind. Well, we know the Bible says that out of our mouths, right, or our mouths speak out of the overflow of what's in our hearts. You know that? What comes out of our mouth is an indication of what is in our hearts. And so based on what came out of this young teenager's mouth, by the way, she was probably no older than 13, 14, 15 years of age. That's how old Mary was at this time. And so out of her mouth, okay, came this, this, this beautiful praise song just just saturated with scripture and so it's obvious here that her heart and her mind were were just saturated with with scripture that she had learned growing up at home and growing up in the synagogue i would just throw out a challenge for some of you young people you teenagers right 13 14 15 year old if 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 you were given the opportunity to sing a song would 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 all this scripture just come out of your heart and your mind because you have read the scriptures and you've memorized the scripture, you've studied the scriptures, and you're attentive to the preaching of scripture, and so your mind is just filled with scripture. That was Mary. And so her heart was just filled with this joyful praise. And rather than being puffed up with pride and, hey, check it out, I'm, I'm going to be the mother of God, right? Mother of God's son. She wasn't puffed up. She, was, she felt humbled to have been chosen by God to perform such an honored service. And instead of boasting in herself, she boasted in who? In God. And she begins by saying, my soul exalts the Lord, or my soul magnifies the Lord. To, to magnify something means to make it bigger, right? And not that you can ever make God bigger, right? But she was wanting to make God big and, and enlarge him just by her praise. And I think it's interesting here, he, she says, and my spirit is rejoicing God, my Savior, the fact that Mary called God her Savior is proof that she knew she was a sinner like everyone else in this world and needed a Savior. 
And then notice verse 48, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. I love that phrase, bond slave. That's not the first time that she used that. Just look back at verse 38 when when Gabriel came and announced, made this announcement that she was going to give birth to the, the Son of God, Mary said in verse 38, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord may be done to me according to your word. In other words, I'm, I'm your slave. I'm just your slave. And so Mary rejoiced in the fact that, that even though she was this lowly peasant girl living up in Nazareth, that was like nowhere. Nazareth was like living out in who, I'm not going to say a place because I'll offend somebody, right? But it's like living out somewhere in the boondocks, okay? It was a, she was a nobody from a nowhere place. And yet God graciously chose her out of all the other girls on the planet at the time who, who, uh, who she, he could have chosen to be his son's mom. And this was just like God. I mean, this is just how God operates, right? The Bible says that he who exalts himself, what? will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about how God has chosen the weak things of the world, the foolish things of the world, to shame the wise and the strong, and so that no one can boast in themselves, but all the boasting will be in God. And so not only did Mary feel blessed, she knew that generations to come would consider her blessed too. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary saw herself as insignificant, but she saw God as magnificent. And notice how she praises him here in verse 49 for how he put on display his attributes in choosing her and using her to bring the Savior into the world, namely his power he calls, she calls him the mighty one and his holiness and holy is his name. And then she'll go on in verse 50 to talk about his mercy. And so this entire song exalts the person and the work of God. Even in verses 51 through 53, we see God's sovereignty in raising up people and putting down people. And we also see in verses 54 and 55, his faithfulness. And so again, this song is not about Mary, it's about God and what God had done for her. Well, let's look secondly at what God did for others. She, she not only talks about herself, she includes everyone uh, in the world from every generation who would ever fear the Lord. And this is the second stanza, verse 50, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. And so here she was highlighting how those who fear God would also be recipients of God's mercy and grace. And really, God's choice of Mary was, was simply representative of the way that other lowly people like herself would, would be able to experience God's grace and mercy. At the time, almost all the Jewish people in her day fit the description of, 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 of what she talks about here in verses 50 through 53. They were, they were helpless, they were humble, they were hungry, 
They were downtrodden. They were discouraged as they lived under the oppression of of the arrogant, powerful, wealthy Roman government who restricted their rights and their privileges. And so what she's getting at here is this was all about the change when the Messiah was born. And Mary realized that God had, had set his saving work in motion and it was already as good as done. Notice that she talks about these things as if they're in the past. He has done mighty deeds. He has scattered. He has brought. He has exalted. He has filled. And he's sent away. Even though these things were still going to happen in the future, they hadn't happened yet, she talks about them as if they'd already happened, which is interesting here. She's using what's called the prophetic past tense, where writers of Scripture viewed the future work of God as so sure that they presented it as if it had already been accomplished. And so the fact that God had passed over the proud and the strong and the, and the rich and chose this helpless, humble, oppressed young teenage girl to be the mother of his son was the first step in him turning the world upside down. And Jesus would have a revolutionary effect on the entire world and overturn the moral and social and political order of the day. And Mary knew the revolution had just begun. And she saw the Lord turning everything upside down. The weak would replace the strong. The humble would be exalted over the proud. The poor would become rich and the rich would become poor. And so when you consider that, we need to realize this is more than just a song. As one man said, the Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the world. The classic old commentator William Barclay said this. He said, there is a loveliness in the Magnificat, but in that loveliness there is dynamite. He said, Christianity begets a revolution in each man and a revolution in the world. Don't let this song fool you. It's not just another quaint Christmas carol, right? This is dynamite. This is a stick of dynamite that has the power to change your life. And so that's what God did for us. Now let's look lastly at what God did for Israel. Notice what she says here. In verse 54, He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And so Mary concluded her song here by exalting God's faithfulness that he demonstrated by keeping his promises to the nation of Israel. And even though God's people were in a destitute condition, they were in a desperate situation, he had not forgotten his promises that he had made to them. And uh, you say, well, what promise did he make to the nation of Israel? Well, you got to go back all the way to Genesis chapter 12, where God made a covenant, made a promise with Abraham. And this is what he said. This is Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. The promise there was that through the nation of Israel would come the Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
You remember later on in the book of Genesis that God put Abraham's faith to the test and after giving him this child, uh, Isaac, through whom uh, this great nation would come and ultimately the Messiah would come, he told Abraham to go kill his son, to take him up on, the, uh, on a mountain and, and, and stick a knife in his chest. And so Abraham submitted to God's will and God's word, and he took his son Isaac, and he took some wood, and he was ready to offer him as a burnt offering. And as you know, when he was there on the mountain and raised that knife, ready to plunge it into his son, God said, stop, now I know that you love me, right, more than you love your son. And this is what he said. He reaffirmed this this covenant, this promise in Genesis chapter 22. He said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you obeyed my voice. And so despite their rebellion against him, God was still committed to fulfilling his purposes to mercifully provide a savior for the world through the nation of Israel. One commentator noted this. He said, the history of Israel tells the story of God's mercy. We know mercy is not getting what we deserve, right? That's God's mercy. God doesn't give us what we deserve. And he didn't give the nation of Israel what they deserved, He says, start with Genesis 12 and read onwards. Each page recalls the tender, loving salvation for an undeserving people. Guess what? We're just like the Jews. Okay, we're just like the nation of Israel. We're all rebellious people who are undeserving of God's mercy. And yet God has extended his mercy to us through the birth and through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And if we're willing to turn from our life of sin and commit our lives to Jesus Christ, to follow him and obey him as our Lord and Savior, we can experience the miracle of forgiveness, forgiveness for our sin, and our lives will be revolutionized by the power of God. And so I want to ask you tonight, have you experienced this revolution in your life? Do you know what this revolution looks like, feels like. I know some of you are here tonight and you are in desperate need of a revolution. You are desperately needing a change in your life because if your life continues to go the way it's going right now, it's only going to end up in one place. And the good news is this, that this revolution can happen to you tonight. It can happen to you tonight if if you are willing to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, recognizing your great need of a Savior and that you can't save yourself. That was Mary's claim. She knew she needed a Savior. And receive God's merciful gift of salvation that He extends to you through His Son. And I promise you that if you receive Christ tonight, This will not just be a a merry Christmas. This will be a magnificent Christmas. 
I think you're aware that in our country, in the last few years, it's become politically incorrect to wish people a Merry Christmas, right? You can't do that. I was talking to one gal who was waiting on us recently from our church at a restaurant. She said, I, I can't even write Merry Christmas on, on the check, you know, just to wish the, the, the person that I served a Merry Christmas. And so I kind of messed around, and I, when I paid the tip, I wrote Merry Christmas back to her because <laughs> I don't work there, so they couldn't fire me, right? But so, so what do we say? Well, what's the new normal? Happy holidays. Happy holidays. I mean, how benign is that, right? What does that mean? Happy holidays. So I'm like, okay, fine. If they don't want us to say Merry Christmas, how about we say this? How about we wish people a magnificent Christmas? Forget about Merry. We don't want to care about a Merry Christmas. How about a magnificent Christmas? And see, like the, world, uh, the word carol, the English word magnificent comes from a, an old French word meaning making great or serving to magnify. And as, as Christians, right, we, we know if, if we've experienced, those of us who experienced this revolution, we know that it's not about a merry Christmas, it's about a magnificent Christmas. And we need to join Mary in magnifying God for putting on display his mercy and might in our lives. I mean, Mary is a great example of how saved people should respond at Christmas time. This is what we should be doing. As lowly, undeserving sinners, we should be overwhelmed by, by the merciful condescension of our magnificent God who came to earth so we could go to heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this magnificent song and the reason why it's so magnificent is because it's about you and, and how you deserve all the praise and all the honor and all the glory at Christmas time. Lord, that it's not about us. And Lord, it, it, it's so easy to make Christmas about us and, and what we're going to get and what we're going to do and who we're going to see and what we're going to eat and, and, and just all the stuff that we look forward to. And it's really all about us. But Lord, thank you for this reminder tonight that it's ultimately about you and it's about your amazing plan of redemption through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I would pray for those who are here tonight who may be visiting with us for the first time or those who maybe come all the time to this church. They never miss a Sunday, but they still have yet to experience this radical revolution of Christ transforming their life, taking over their life changing their life. Father, that you would grant them an understanding of, of this passage tonight and what it means to them. And that you would grant them repentance, a willingness to turn away from their life of sin and, and, and you would grant them faith to believe that Jesus was more than just a little baby in a manger, how cute and quaint, but he came to save them from their sin. That they would get that tonight. They would recognize that tonight. That that would sink in tonight. And Lord, they would be able to put their head on the pillow tonight knowing that their life will never be the same because of the decision they make tonight to follow Jesus. Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that you would help us to, to magnify Christ, to magnify you. Lord, that as we celebrate tonight and tomorrow, 
that Christ would get all the glory, that he would be the center of attention. He wouldn't get um, lost under all the wrapping paper and we wouldn't get distracted from him by all the food and the, 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 the toys and everything else that happens around this time of year. Lord, thank you for the example that Mary is to us even today. Truly, she was blessed by you. And thank you that we can learn from her, from her example. Lord, and may we be like her tonight as, we, um, as our hearts just are filled with joy and, and praise and wonder and amazement. Lord, that we would just be speaking um, about Christ and Christ alone. We pray this in his name. Amen.